You're listening to the Sound Girls Podcast with Tori and Kate. Juno Black is an audiovisual technology production expert. With a background in music composition, engineering, and events production, Juno's curiosity has led her to venture into new and advanced audiovisual technologies. With consistent experience in managing entertainment and creative projects, Juno can organize, budget, staff, coordinate, and deliver projects in a timely fashion. Whether it is a film, concert, or album, you can rest assured that she will take detailed steps to maintain the best quality. Pioneering digital mixing in live events made her engineering and system design skills to be in high demand. After moving to the U.S. in 2000, she produced, engineered, and coordinated events for clients like MJ Audio, WGBH, Harvard University, Mass Concerts, and the Cambridge Multicultural Arts Center, among many others. As a co-founder of Moana Productions, she managed and produced commercial, industrial, and film projects with an emphasis on live multicam, multi-track music concert production with clients like Univision, Tribeca Film Festival, Greenwich Village Entertainment, MTV, and Fuse. Since 2005, she worked in production coordination and sound engineering in venues like the Highline Ballroom, Webster Hall, and the Manhattan Center. She currently runs Juno Black Music, a consulting integration practice. One of the highlights in her work in this area was managing the iconic One World Theater refurbishing. She spends her spare time composing original music, recording, and managing multimedia projects. She has extensive knowledge in new technologies like immersive audio, VR, AR, and advanced audiovisual workflows. Welcome, Juno. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited to be a part of this podcast. Oh, thank you for joining us. We're so happy to have you. Tell us about your roots and tell us about getting into audio. Okay, so I started by playing. I used to play in a punk band uh, when I was 15. So I was really young. And my cousin played in another band. And he kind of like uh, was hey, yeah, you should start your own band. It's really fun. He was a little bit older than I was. So I started going to his rehearsals and I was like, yeah, this sounds like something that I would like to do. I had been playing piano for about like three years or something. And I I found some friends uh, that uh, wanted to play and we started playing out. Uh, Very soon I realized that a lot of people didn't know how to manage sound. And a lot of the venues that we will go will have a small mixer, you know, usually a PVXR 800 or a 1600, uh, a, which is like a self-powered, like two-channel mixer, you know, with like eight inputs. Uh, anyhow, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of places will have that and they will be like, here you go. And uh, I've always been like technically inclined. So I kind of took over that. Uh, a position in my band, like I will make sure that everybody could hear, you know, on the eight channels with the high and low. <laughs> yep. Uh, and, <laughs> who needs uh, a mid? <laughs> exactly. Who does who does need that, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, anyhow, uh, that made me realize that that was an important part of any live music experience. 
Um, after a while, I, we uh, won a Battle of the Band contest and uh, it got like the opportunity to record in the studio and that experience was really, really fun. And coming from that earlier experience of like trying to balance out, like I really got into this recording part. Hmm. Uh, my cousin's band, like they got like a big recording budget to do. So they went to a real studio at, the, at that time that meant like uh, 16 track, one inch uh, recording. Uh, and I, I went to see their recording process and I, I just loved it. Uh, I was like, I really want to do this. So I started hassling the owner of the studio. I was like, I want to work here. I want to, I want to learn. Could you teach me? Uh, I think he was annoyed at me, but he anyhow, <laughs> like let me uh, intern. So I basically like started my path in the old fashioned way. I interned in that place and I, I would go and I would clean the bathrooms and like, <laughs> you know, like look at what they recorded. Um, then I, I found a, a, another person who was a, been, had been playing for a long time and he had a small uh, Porta studio, like an A track and he recorded a lot of demos. Um, so I started going there and, and giving my try uh, at, at recording for other people. Um, over time, uh, it, by playing, people started to say, oh, Juno uh, can handle the sound. She does like a good sound. She understands the style. You know, like at this time, uh, a rock and roll was a minority. In Colombia, most right. people listen to mm. uh, traditional Colombian music or a, a Caribbean music. Uh, a, the, the rock, uh, aspect of it, uh, it wasn't as spread and a lot of people didn't understand how to mix it. I mean, places we will come to like a, a college or something and we were going to play and they will come with a mic to mic the electric bass. And it's like, how do you mic this? I'm like, no, like you have to plug it in. Do you have a DI? You know, it's like, what's that? No, I mean, not, not really, but like kind of, you know, I, mean, I had that, I had that experience. <laughs> You know, uh, so uh, I started like looking at places where I could uh, learn and I just will go. And eventually a production company hired me and I started doing sound for money. Um, I realized like how much more uh, sustainable would be to make a living as a sound engineer versus as a player in a band at least in Colombia it was, you know? Right. Uh, and uh, uh, I have been working with this company and at the time uh, the digital mixing boards starting to appear. So Yamaha put uh, this digital mixing board called the Yamaha Pro Mix 01. And the Yamaha Pro Mix 01 was the first affordable 16 channel digital mixer. And I kept re reading it and I was like, this would be perfect. Cause like it had two compressors, you know, you can assign those to any channel or the master. It has 16 channels plus a stereo channel. So that would be 18 inputs. And uh, you could output a SPDIF stereo mix uh, into a DAT machine and will make a complete straight up 
digital path, which at the time, you know, like now people is like, oh, let's go analog, like, you know, like all the classics, you know, but, you know, at the time you would, well, I, I remember walking in into the uh, radio station, like what it would be equivalent to NPR here, you know, right. and then having a knee board, like laying on the side <laughs> in the entrance. You know, uh, and it would be, and they're like, yeah, we just got this uh, a new excited automated board, you know, and they'll have, and and they'll have a, this new board uh, just laying on the side because it was the old technology. I'd be like, uh, can I use that one? You know, right. and that's, the, that's in the high end, you know, but, but in live sound, a lot of what you will see at the time, um, it would be a you know, PV or Mackie mixers that were like uh, noisy. When when the Mackie mixer came, everybody got it because it was way less noisier than the other mixers that they could have at the time without spending a lot of money. And there wasn't like that that kind of budget like probably it was here at the time. I'm talking in the 90s. Uh, there, wa- uh, there wasn't like those big budgets. Like most people will have small budgets, you know. Right. So when I saw this board, I was like, that's my opportunity. So I got a loan and I bought the digital board and I bought a dad machine. And I had a whole bunch of like cheap mics, you know. Uh, And I started doing recording and live sound with it. And people were like mesmerized because recordings were super quiet. You know, you will go digitally from one to the other. It will have... A, a, a you know you could mark and you could have a compressor on your master so it will be like perfectly leveled and when uh you go to a radio station and you play your dad it will go directly digitally through their like whatever uh a antenna they have or system like transmission system and it will sound so much better than most bands that were recording in eight tracks on cassette or like you know, if they go to a studio, it will be like a Tascam 16, you know, with 16 on a one inch and going through a Mackie board. Like it will have a lot more noise, right. but I, it wasn't multi-track. It was just mixing stereo. And that experience like l- taught me how to balance and, and record the band like live, you know, and wow. doing the live sounds, uh, you know, I will come to the clubs and it will be the same thing. I will just connect my uh, mixer to the directly to the ramps and everybody's like, how is this so quiet? This is so clean and crisp, you know. Uh, nowadays, like everybody wants to go back to analog. And it, do, it makes sense because if you have high quality analog equipment that you have maintained, it does provide some sound. Like we want that dirtiness. We want right. that grain. We want that uh, character. You know, but uh, uh, but honestly, at the time, it was the best decision. And then, you know, I le- I've been working with digital boards since then. So even when I moved here, um, I remember uh, the Digico was just coming into the live sound uh, arena. And, uh, you know, they started touring with all of these uh, new digital boards and, um to me, it was very comprehensible. Like I, I could manage it uh, very fast. So people start hiring me because, like, I knew how to deal with those. You know, when the pan, uh, the the PM series uh, came, like the PM five D, uh, and, and uh, then the M seven CL from Yamaha. You know, that kind of. I mean, especially the M seven mm-hmm. redefined the interface 
or uh, digital boards, and a lot of the boards yeah. now follow that pattern uh, uh, by including the touchscreen and including uh, like the banking, like the way it works on most modern digital desks. Um, so, so the people who at this point I probably was moving, had moved to New York. So in New York, I got a lot of work from venues that had these boards uh, right. because I knew how to deal with them, you know. Because you were on digital before really a lot of people because right. you, ha- you bought this right. Yeah, that's right. so cool. Uh, and and you know like now things are more standardized and uh, you know regardless of which brand of board you use like they're all pretty much uh, sonically uh, similar let's right. say like there's very slight differences but uh, at the beginning it was a huge leap like it right. was completely different you know um but also when I moved to the States, like I started working with this company, MJ Audio, which is women run in Boston. And uh, it, uh, they had all Midas uh, a system with Meyer Sound or Soundcraft. So you had like mm-hmm. the big analog board, you know? Uh, so that that's a different level of analog compared to what I had been used to. Right. And I had to learn a lot. Um, of uh, uh, working in professional environments in in the analog world when I came back here because, uh, a, you know, I had been carrying my 16-channel mixer and that's how I had been mixing or right. going into the studio and having, like, you know... I mean, I, I, there were studios there that had, like, larger boards, but, like, you know, nothing like a, a mm-hmm. heritage or something like that, you know, with, like, a rack of KTs. Uh, you know, which uh, um, is what I was confronted. So I had to relearn that part. And I had very good uh, teachers there, like individually. I was going to school at the same time, though. So it was really hard to do both things. How did you, you get know? the opportunity yeah. uh, to move to the U.S. and work with MJ Audio? Well, I I always mm. wanted to come yep. to Berkeley School of Music, uh, they do a lot of mm. advertising in Colombia. <laughs> and I had been studying music in Colombia, but uh, I, I, wa- I wanted to come here. Like, that's what I wanted to do. So uh, they do this thing that they go places and they do auditions and they say, like, oh, we're going to give you, or they used to, they, we're going to give you a scholarship. But really, the scholarship is just like <laughs> one class on the summer where they try to sell you the whole program, you know? <laughs> but but it gave you the opportunity to uh, uh, apply mm-hmm. for a student visa. Right. Yeah. And uh, so I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. And I apply for my visa. And, uh, you know, I had I had been working uh, the, the last because, you know, doing sound like gave you a lot of stability, but I needed something certain. <laughs> so. Tower Records uh, had opened, so I, I got a job with Tower Records, and I used to uh, buy their classical music for the store in Colombia. And uh, then, like, they opened another uh, records and they another one in a different city called Cali, and they said, like, hey, do you want to go open this store? Uh, it will come with a raise. You will be assistant manager. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go to be an assistant manager. To... So I worked for three years to save the money 
my mom <laughs> Uh, sold some of her antiques and gave me some money. And yeah. that's how I connect, collected the money to come uh, and move. And it was frustrating because like the first time that I got to the States, you know, I, I, I went to eat uh, at a place and it was like $8 for a meal. For me, I was like, okay, I have oh, wow. $80 in my pocket <laughs> for the rest of my life. And this is going to cost me $8. So I have money for 10 meals. Mm -hmm. I really need a job right now. <laughs> you yeah, know? Wow. Uh, so I, I did some other things. Like I started ballet parking. Mm -hmm. Like that was my first job. <laughs> and uh, uh, going to school. Uh, I couldn't afford Berkeley on the long run. So I went to the uh, Massachusetts College of Communications, which later on got bought by the Art Institute. And uh, like the tuition like kind of doubled and it was really hard. Uh, but during this period, I saw an ad in the paper, you know, people used to look for people <laughs> in the paper. <laughs> I saw an ad in the paper and it said, a sound engineer needed women wow. encouraged to apply hey. and a phone number. And I was like, that sounds perfect. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I mean, I had never, ever seen uh women encouraged to apply related to my profession up until that point so i was mm -hmm. like i'm i'm down for this and uh i i called and it was uh, myrna johnston uh who runs mj audio and uh mm -hmm. she gave me the opportunity oh. i mean i i got paid like nine dollars an hour at the beginning but uh i didn't care you know and i was going to school uh, so every moment that I didn't, that I wasn't in school, I was working right. an event or whatever. And that's how, that's how I, I basically learned how to manage like large events wow. by working with them. That is so cool. Kudos. My God. Yeah. That sounds like kind of a crazy time to do all that at I, once. It was. It was. Uh, I mean, I was really stressed out. <laughs> yeah. Understandably. I'm. That's impressive to do all that. Like, do you feel weird thinking back? Like, how did I? Or I guess you're, are you still that busy? You probably are still that busy. <laughs> I'm always that busy. You're always yeah. that busy. <laughs> but, but, you know, like you learn to balance things. And one of the hardest things to learn is to say no. So one of the hardest things to say is to yeah. say no. You yeah. know, uh, uh once you start like getting uh, clients and getting projects and at the beginning is you're really eager to do whatever it is, you know, and so you go and do it. It's like, oh, I have to clean the bathrooms and that's my job so I can look. OK, I'll do that. Or, OK, I, I'm going to push these big boxes out of, and in on the truck for nine dollars an hour so I can learn this. You do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But after a certain point, you realize the value of what you do. And you realize a, a how important and uh, a, how to deal with certain circumstances in which, like, probably what you are asked to do is not mm -hmm. what you want to do. Right. And then you you and a lot of the times you have two opportunities that is that are very exciting to you in different ways, and you have to balance out and say, okay, I want to do this one more. 
and then say no to the other one. And those are the hardest moments when you have two opportunities and you're like, okay, I can do either this or this because they conflict. And just to think like where Uh, each of those paths could take you and not to have any regrets, but just be determined. Like this is the path that you decided and this is what you're going down. This is what you want to pursue. So in that sense, like in that sense that you're mentioning, uh, uh, I think uh, I probably would have been more notorious uh, if I had dedicated to one branch of engineering, but I've always been a curious person and I've always wanted to do more than one thing. so, you know, I, I've done live sound, uh, I've uh, worked in studios, I owned my own recording studio, I founded a post-production company, like doing, like, the audio part was my part of it, you know, and ran that, uh, and went back to life. You know, uh, kind of like, so it kind of, to me, it's kind of like, okay, like sometimes I want, I feel like I want to be in a cave and be on my own and work on a Mm -hmm. snare for three hours. Uh, Or, and some other times I just don't want to deal with that. I'm just going to go do a show and come home. Right. (laughs) So that has been back and forth, but doing that uh, has uh, allowed me to learn a lot of skills that are useful. Uh, and had brought me to the point in which I am, in which most of what I do is manage and organize. Right. Yeah. So uh, a, people call me to consult and say, hey, I have this issue. What can I do to solve it? Or I, I need this kind of, I have this idea. I want something to go and you bring it down into practical steps and you know what the process and the workflow to mm. accomplish that is. Right. Whoa. So you like... Yeah, you've been everywhere. Like you, you know, all of audio basically. Like you know a lot well, of I different wouldn't, areas. I wouldn't say you ever, you ever, you ever get know. To know all of audio. You know, <laughs> impossible. Like, yeah, I mean, like just recently. I mean, relatively recently. You know, uh, it, things changed. You know, and and then uh, now you need to know mm-hmm. a lot Absolutely. about networking. You know, so uh, networking became a primordial part of audiovisual systems. And uh, it's it's a different skill that you had to learn. And a lot of people, a lot of people didn't. A lot of people like have They want to stay in the analog realm, but it's like, no, you have to reinvent yourself. Be willing to reinvent yourself to continue on. Right. And, and, and just like things that become popular, you know, like, I mean, uh, I remember when uh, the first uh, iPad systems came up, came through, you know, and when the iPad came out and then like people is like, oh, we can use mm-hmm. these to control an audio system, you know. Right. And then uh, uh, the first iPad control uh, came out. Uh People were like, "Why are you gonna do that? Like, where's right your faders? You know, and why? Why would you want?" But then, like, the ability to go and initially was only to control your system. I mean, it wasn't even like controlling your mix. It was just like, "Okay, I can connect to my processor and EQ the system anywhere in the venue." Right. And people were like, 
how, why, how do you connect, you know? Uh, and to me, it, it was something that I just learned and and went from there, you know? Like, it's like, oh, let's try this. Uh, and, uh, you know, like now is more common, like I see young engineers, like, uh, there's where where's the iPad? Like, no, 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 yeah. like, we're going to mix in the board. <laughs> like, it's like, you show them an analog board and it's like, how does this work? Oh, yeah. It's the kind I, of like I the totally understand. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Judo, I really appreciate your attitude and your approach, this curiosity that you cite as what allowed you to try so many different things. I guess it's always been that way for you. You've always been this naturally curious person. You're not afraid to try things. Well, I'm afraid, but I just conquered my my fright. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, a lot of the times it was fake until you make it. So you learn also to mark boundaries. This is a teamwork effort. Like anything that we do involves other people and working together. What area would you say a highlight for you? I like the creative process. I've always in, really enjoyed mixing like that's what I've enjoyed being the person responsible of putting a mix, <laughs> whether it's live or whether it's mm-hmm. like on a recorded project or whether it's a film. I love like that aspect of balancing everything and making everything finished. Also, I really enjoy having a team or working with a team into creating something new, whether it's playing with a band or whether it's making a film. Do you have a team that works with you? I always work with people. So yes, I do have a team. I do have a circle of people that I know that I hire on a contract basis for uh, completing projects, things that we're doing. For instance, I did the One World Theater, you know, like that's, uh, I managed that for five years and we refurbish all of the systems, all of the building, you know, so you build teams and it takes a lot of organization but it is it is really rewarding to me to be part of all these different aspects of entertainment and life and media i've been really into like uh, like new technologies like immersive technologies and virtual reality and i think that ha- that's going to have another layer moving into the future that's why I went from saying like I'm a sound engineer exclusively to saying that I am a media producer, <laughs> you know, in a way, because it takes all of this and nothing is only one medium. Yet we talk about podcasts and podcasts have evolved being only audio, but they have evolved thanks to the way that uh, podcasts can be distributed now, mm-hmm. you know, and how a, a Many people have these devices that allow them to categorize and like and follow. So it is all intertwined. Yeah, Mm -hmm. very much so. What does the average day look like for you with, um, (laughs) is that a tough one? Average being the keyword. Monday, I, I can be putting together a video for a commercial partner can be an industrial kind where you have like dialogue and you have like music and you're editing the video and putting it together based on a script. Uh, and the day after I might have a show and I'm like playing and the day after I might uh, be doing a one for a festival. I'm open to what the future brings. And right now I have a lot of projects and, and that's exciting. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> How do you manage taking time for yourself with so much going on? I try to take uh, one day a week if I can, or um, if I cannot take a day in that week, I'll try to take organized so I have enough time every day to relax or exercise. Also like consume because as a media person, you need to understand what media is doing. So you want to consume, you know, so you want to like go and watch a series or go and listen to the new album of someone. You want to be up to what's happening, you know, and, and it can create opportunities for it. You get a sense of what's happening. I just finished a, a video shoot with Everclear, which is a 90s band. The client was AARP. So it's like you realize and you take conscience that life goes by and uh, you're not 20 years old anymore. <laughs> right now, I, I want to get more into teaching. I love teaching and uh, I taught uh, audio for a technical institute for a couple of years and that was really good experience and I want to go back into teaching and I've been working more on, on my academic side, uh, you know. Uh, because of that, uh, I, I'm finishing my master's, so I went back to wow. school. And yeah, congratulations! And, uh, um, you know, I should finish like the beginning of next year. And uh, I'm thinking I'm, I might even go to a do to do a doctorate. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm considering that. Brilliant! Oh my God, Juno, you do it all. I'm very impressed. Since you want to teach, how do you feel about mentorship? I like mentorships. I mean, me I wouldn't be here if I hadn't have mentors. Moira Shea comes to mind. Like she was uh, the A1 engineer that worked for. Uh, Myrna Johnston audio in most of the shows and she taught me uh, a lot of what I know about live mixing I mean a lot of you know at that point I had a lot of misconceptions and she took uh, on teaching me like how to do it like her way you know which opened my perspective to okay like there's many ways and this way is seems to work really well you know, so I appreciate mentors, yes. And I would like to do some mentorship. And I think I do in a way, like every day, you know, uh, when I work with teams, like younger people. But I do want to do it in a more formal environment. I do want to teach college at some point. What advice do you have for people who are looking to pursue a career in audio or media? Start doing it. Nowadays, there's a lot of educational opportunities, zero to $10,000. <laughs> Ten thousand to a million dollars. I don't know, <laughs> yeah. but like, there's a lot of sources of information. Reading is important, and doing is important. So read then do. That's my advice. Read then do. Don't trust YouTube too much because everybody now goes to YouTube and believe that someone in YouTube has their answer. And even though someone might have, uh, a lot of people don't. Yeah, you can read on the internet, but like read a publication, read someone, something that has been edited and has been vetted. Juno, it was such a pleasure to talk to you today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Sound Girls podcast. Check out soundgirls.org for more information. The Sound Girls Living History Project is a collection of oral history interviews that highlights the careers and achievements of women and underrepresented groups in audio. 
One of the interviews is with Stephanie Brown, a sound editor and dialogue and ADR supervisor, known for her work on The Incredible Hulk, 8 Mile, A Wrinkle in Time, and many others. Be sure and catch the full interview with Stephanie Brown, along with all the other Living History interviews, over on the Sound Girls website or YouTube channel. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance. Be sure to check out what our friends in the podcasting community have in store for you at audiopodcast.org. Our mission is to create a supportive community for women in audio and music production, providing the tools, knowledge, and support to further their careers.